Welcome to the HIF Player, bringing Harrogate International Festivals into your home. This event was recorded live at the Feakston Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. Enjoy. Oh, thank you. <laughs> what a lovely welcome. I had yeah. no idea I had so many people here that knew me. <laughs> <laughs> so, last night I arrived in Harrogate and caught up uh, with this lady and... Um, for those that don't know, I used to present a radio show on BBC Radio Scotland in the mornings, and we had the pleasure of a chat last year, yeah. and um, I keep going to call you Marion, but a lot of people call, refer to you just as MC as well. No, Marian. You prefer Marion. Yeah. And Marion invited me down to uh, have a chat again today, so we met up last night, and I said, um, we'll just have a wee blether. Uh, so for the Scots in the room, you know what's about to unfold, which is uh, pretty much anything. Uh, and if you're from overseas, it's just going to be uh, a blether. <laughs> so you said last night that um, you can take the girl out of Glasgow, but you can never take Glasgow out of the girl. Yes. Uh, and you were born and brought up there, weren't you? Oh, yes, yes. I was genuine Glaswegian. At one time, that wasn't fashionable. People would say, I come from a little highland village called Rutherglen, <laughs> you know, which is yes. part of Glasgow, practically. Anything yeah. but it is such a reputation. But uh, it was very much an American city. In It had a sort of hectic, anything can happen, live today, you might not live tomorrow. And when I was crime reporting there, Believe me, with the razor gangs and the yes. girl gangs and the gaslight and the broken steel lavatories and the worst drunks in Europe, I think. Yeah. Uh, it could be a scary place. I mean, and no, yet I missed the people when I moved south. Right. Yeah. And when you've come back recently, I think you, you'll have noticed the difference in the geography of Glasgow. It's much more spread out, and that's had a consequence on the people as well. They're, they used to be more compact, didn't they? Yes, the centre of Glasgow was a village, and uh, everyone knew your business, unfortunately. <laughs> it was a great, it's like a gossipy village. The, the thing I liked about it, the, the background, I, I started off, my first job was in John Smith & Sons as a fiction buyer. Right. And that was very good because... Um, you got to know what people like to read and what you like to read yourself. You can't target an audience, but the brain's like a computer. You can only put out what you put in. You okay. And, and has John Smith gone now, I think, hasn't yes, it? Yes, it was a great the, institution for a long, it was long the, time. Well, the, the owner was John Knox. The John Knox. <laughs> <laughs> I'm old, I'm not that old. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And the thing about it was, my mother said, uh, when I was going for an interview, she said, I'd better run along and ask the minister at the local church to see you remember his congregation. Right. I said, well, why? She said, they want to make sure they're not employing a Catholic. Mm. I mean, you talk about Northern Ireland, that was the one, one of the few reasons I was glad to get out of Glasgow was this Catholic Protestant business. I thought it was disgusting. Yeah, which for people that don't know the west of Scotland, it is a very, very strange aspect of society there. I, I live in Glasgow now and have done for 32 years. Uh, would never be able to consider myself to be fully Glaswegian because I have retained the ability to mind my own business. <laughs> uh, 
But the, and in Perthshire, we knew nothing of this. And it, and it stems from football, soccer for Americans that are in Rangers and Protestants, Catholics and Celtic. And yeah. It's terribly aggressive. And uh, we knew nothing of that in Perthshire, where I grew up. Uh, no, and, no. And coincidentally, my, my old man was a, a village bobby. He was uh, a cop, not quite Hamish Macbeth, but uh, he was also known as Fred Macaulay. And we didn't know, there was no Catholic Protestant fighting went on at all. There was the odd night, myself and the rest of the boys from the Free Presbyterian Church of Scotland would go out and have a fight with the Amish, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not the Free Presbyterians. I remember the, when the Lord Chancellor was um, a Free Presbyterian and Bernard Levin said it's the sort of religion that believes if you don't keep the bed covers very tightly over your toes at night, the devil will nip down the <laughs> chimney and bite them. <laughs> yeah. There, can I just ask uh, how many people we've got in the room that are from Scotland? Uh, good number, right? yeah, back, yes. a, a good few, thank yeah. you very much. Um, because, you know, the, the reason we're here, and I should at this point uh, indicate that there will be a book signing later on. Yes. Uh, outside in the, the W.H. Smith is it a tent? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's where you're going to be because there's a you've currently got a, an Agatha Reason and a Hamish Macbeth novel out that yes. came out just yes, earlier that's in this true. year, and then there's another Agatha Reason coming out in the autumn in October. In October yes, right. I, I should say October because clearly autumn arrived about two months ago in, <laughs> in the UK. And from what I've read and what uh, I know of you, Marion. Um, you know, Scotland plays obviously geographically a very big part in the novels that you've written about Hamish yes. and the Cotswolds where you live equally for, for Agatha. Uh, yes. Um, and is that is that deliberate? It just happened. We had, um, uh, we went over to a fishing, we were living in Brooklyn in New York. Okay. And we went over to a fishing school in Loch Inver because my husband wanted to fly cast for salmon, or land to fly cast. There were 11 of us trapped in that southern wilderness of twisted mountains. And, and uh, there was this woman driving me mad in the fishing school. She got leaders tied around her necks. She embedded fish hooks in us. She backed over our packed lunches and she, <laughs> and she was incredibly snobbish. So, so you murdered her? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> because while they were learning to fly cast for salmon, I could see her body rolling down the pool. <laughs> so I went back and I said to my editor, Hope Dellen, I've got this wonderful idea for a detective story. And I went to her about Sutherland and 11 people trapped in this mm -hmm. wilderness and yada yada. She said, who's your detective? And I had thought what I said, the village Bobby. She said, what's his name? And I said, Hamish Macbeth off the Just top like of that. my head. Yeah. Right. And we eventually moved there. We had a croft up in Sutherland and uh, it's very weird up there. A, a crofter friend at Torgormac near Bewley said, we'd hit the sourest crofting community in the whole of the Highlands and Islands. <laughs> my husband had a herd of black sheep and he took top price with his lambs at the Lairg sheep sales, the biggest sheep sales in Europe. And jealousy set in and they cut the fences and they put a white ram in with the flock to spoil it. 
So it's, um, you see, the, the great thing about writing detective stories is you can get rid of resentments. Right. You just kill them all, uh -huh. you know. <laughs> but there's a nice side to the Highlander. There's two Highland types of Highlander. The cowboys, they call them. Hate anyone getting on. There was a chap near us. He had a very successful trout farm. Uh -huh. So they poisoned the water. Seriously? Uh, yeah, they burned Barbara Cartland's house down, but you, it helps me. Maybe you don't find that odd. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, and then there are the gentlemen. Right. Like this crofter friend, he used to come in and say, well, I've fed the hens, I'm off to see my cousin in Hong Kong. <laughs> and he would go to Hong Kong and he'd take all these postcards of Scotland, uh -huh. give them to the Chinese artist who would do them up in oils, bring them back and flog them around the gift shops. Right. Which felt obliged to take them because he worked for the Red Deer Commission. So he'd turn up with all the guns bristling out the Land Rover. Uh -huh. And he, he was a, the, the, the natural, the, the good Highlanders are natural gentlemen. Uh, and they have, uh, well, obviously, Harry, your husband, would have had a, a good work ethic, but some of them lack that. Uh, and I know that from first hand as well. My ancestry is from Harris. And, oh, yes. And we visited uh, two of my father's cousins um, who, the, the Croft building was split in two. So one half the, the brothers inhabited, and the other half was there for us to, to yeah. go and stay in. And um, we were in Harris for 14 days, and it rained for only 13 and a half. <laughs> and uh, Dad used to get up in the morning and, and say to John Angus, it's a, it's a great thing in the Highlands. They, uh, they have hyphenated Christian names. Yes. So he, he was John Angus. And he said, what are you up to today, John Angus? And he said, I think I'll be concentrating on keeping myself dry. <laughs> And it was an effort, you know, the concentration <laughs> element was, was very specific. Well, but we, we had a neighbour and uh, the wife used to go down and she'd uh, do the breakfast at the Sullivan Hotel. And then um, she would do the rooms, you know, change the sheets, clean up. And then in the afternoon, she would be out um, working with the sheep. And in the evening, she said to her husband, Sandy was lying in the hearth rug in front of the fire. She said, I don't know, I think I'll go to the doctor. I feel so tired. And he said, you're just damn lazy. That's what's up with you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do want to talk about the books, Marion, but uh, I, I was, um, you know, fascinated that from, from John Smith's The, the, the Bookshop, uh, you then started writing on, on papers and magazines and within that, something that's very close to my heart, you were reviewing Scottish or variety shows in Scotland. Yes, this was, um, how I got that was, um, this woman came into the bookshop and she wanted a cookery book for a man who didn't know how to boil an egg. And I said, don't waste your money in these expensive cookery books. There's a government publication that tells you how to boil eggs, make tea, you know, basic, one and sixpence. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a very genteel job. We were al allowed out for morning coffee, lunch, afternoon tea. And I went round to the cafe for coffee, and it was crowded. And she came up and said, do you mind if I don't join you? And she said, do you know, these reporters drive me mad. She said, I've got to cover the Rutherglid rape because they're doing Cinderella. 
and one of the editor's nephews is one of the ugly sisters. <laughs> but I can't get a reporter to go. I said, I'll go. She said, have you had anything published? And lied my teeth. I said, punch listener, you know. <laughs> but it's too late to go home and get them. Or she said, it's, it's 50 words. So I mentioned the editor's nephew in glowing terms. <laughs> and I thought that's the end of my glory days. Next Monday, along comes the office boy with two tickets for the Glasgow Empire. Now, Monday night at the Glasgow Empire was where they threw rivets at the stage <laughs> if they didn't like it. <laughs> And uh, where De Des O'Connor actually fainted on the stage. <laughs> he came on and he collapsed on the stage and they're playing Happy Days, are you? <laughs> uh, and at last the conductor said, is that part of your act, Mac? <laughs> but uh, um, and I love vaudeville. Right. I love vaudeville. So instead of a um, little paragraph, it was a great long review. And then I became lead review. Right. And uh, then after that, when the Glasgow Bulletin collapsed, Eddie Ashton, they said they had to give him the job as leading reviewer. So, um, and then when I joined the Daily Express, I couldn't work for the Daily Mail, obviously. Aye. Yes. So how many papers were in Glasgow at that time? At the beginning, there was the Glasgow Bulletin, the Glasgow Evening News, the Glasgow Herald. I think that was it. Right. Yeah. Um, for those that don't know, uh, um, did, was that the Glasgow Empire, did you see, where, where yes. Des O'Connor affected this uh, illness on stage? Yeah. So that he, uh, that's where there was Mike and Bernie Winters, there's a great story about them. My, my favourite story of those days, forgive me, is uh, there was an English comedian on stage in Glasgow and uh, it wasn't going well. And uh, they used to have at the back of the auditorium a shelf where people would go and have a cigarette. And there were huge glass ashtrays there. And in the spotlight, uh, an ashtray arced as it was thrown <laughs> from the back of the auditorium towards the stage. And it didn't make the stage. And it crashed into somebody's head three rows from the front. And he went down like a sack of potatoes. And then you just saw two hands on the seat. And he pulled himself up and was heard to say, hit me again, I can still hear him. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it was a. It, but they were, and and they're, they're, we've only got a handful of these old guys left, Marion. We've only. Yeah. You would have seen Stanley Baxter and Jimmy Logan and yes, yes, Johnny Beatty and all of these oh, old yes. Scottish actors. Yes. That now, I think we've only got about two left. Yeah. So the the glory days of. So, uh, and then leaving called? Glasgow. Um, was that because of Harry's job? Uh, no, I got, um, I got sick of the Razor Gangs. I wasn't married then. I right. got sick of the Razor Gangs. I got sick of the filth. Um, I got sick of the bullying. The, you were terribly bullied. I mean, God, it was worse than being in the army, you know? Bullied at work or, or bullied, bullied in at society? Work. Bullied at work. Right. Like hell. Uh -huh. And... Um, I asked for a transfer south, and you would think I'd deserted to Russia the way they went on, you know, going to England. Oh, horror, shock, horror. <laughs> and, uh, and also, it was uh, in Glasgow, it was the days of the newspaper wars. We drove each other off the road. We hid crown witnesses from the other papers. Uh -huh. uh, we listened into the phone calls. We bribed girls. It was exchanges then. So Hang on, you listened into phone calls? Uh, well, no, no, no. <laughs> 
you, you, you bribed the girl, the newspaper bribed the girl in exchange to listen to the other newspaper's uh -huh. phone calls to find out what they were up to, you see. Wow. And also, we kept a pet... Have, we, have you got a statute of limitations in the UK? <laughs> we had a pet burglar. Uh -huh. I didn't believe it, but I met Jimmy Anderson, who used to be the news editor in Edinburgh. I said, did we have a pet burglar? And he said, yes. You see, what happened was when someone died, you asked for a picture of the dear departed. And if they didn't give you one, you sent in the burglar. Mm -hmm. I bet there was a funny story. I remember Jimmy saying that he went to a house and he said, uh, we'd like a picture of your man for the paper. She said, oh, Sonny, you're too late. We just screwed him down. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when, when I went south to London, I was staying with an old uh, Glaswegian friend of my mother's in, in Hampstead. And um, it was a different world. Mm -hmm. You went out in a story and another reporter would say, would you like to see my notes? And you think, what is this, you know? Um, I was the first reporter in the Profumo case because I was expendable. I was told, go around to Regent's Park and ask, get his wife aside and ask her what she thinks about him shagging up, the, shagging the cabinet whore. I went round and I knocked the butler answered the door. He said, oh, I'm awfully sorry. They're out touring the constituency. I nearly kissed them. <laughs> <laughs> the relief, you know. <laughs> but that must have been the nature of the business. You know, being sent an awful lot of jobs that you didn't really particularly want Yes, to like the days of the Cray brothers. Yeah. Uh, you know, do you want your kneecaps nailed to the Is floor? <laughs> yeah. Gosh, send the Glasgow girl along. She'll... Yeah. <laughs> and the Crays go into hiding. <laughs> But it was a great, um, it was the days when the Daily Express was a broadsheet. Mm -hmm. And um, it was great training for research. You had to do very quickly who, what, why, where, when. Um, I sometimes stood in for Chapman Pincher or the medical correspondent in their holiday. And you got miles of bumps and lasers or something. And you had to condense it down into a few snappy paragraphs that anyone could understand. Uh -huh. And it, it was very good training uh, for that, particularly when I was doing the regencies for historical research. Was it, was you, it was before the internet. You were able to amass a pile of information very quickly. Right. And in those days in journalism, did everything have to be sort of corroborated or you had to have a, a, a second Ye yes, opinion actually, on something? Yes, actually. Yes. I mean, everything was... Uh, watched like a hawk because other lawyers would read the newspaper and if they thought you were a bit off about an interview, they'd go to the person and say, you've got a case there, mm -hmm. you see. That was why I couldn't understand the photographs in the mirror, which to me were obviously fake, of British soldiers torturing Iraqi prisoners. And they turned out to be fake. Mm -hmm. I, we'd never have got away without corroborating it, going up there, checking it out. So when you're writing uh, and you, you're, you're writing about crime, do you kind of second, do you, do you have a sort of second review of something, just like in the days of journalism? Would you think, okay, I've written this, this is how it's coming out in the page, but then do you rethink it again just to make sure no. that... No. No, I begin at the beginning, go to the end, and that's it. That's it? Yes. Because I looked in on Lisa Gardner and um, Anne Cleese earlier on, 
And they were talking about how far in advance they kind of think their book through. And, you know, this is the first of these crime writing festivals I've been to. And I was going to ask things like, you know, do you, do you think of the crime first? Or do you think of the solution first? Do you think of the characters first? But it seems that each and every one of you has a, has a different opinion well, or I a have, different route. Yeah, to I have the to novel. sell the plot in advance, right. you see, for the contract. I, I do, I've got with, two publishers. With the publishers? With the publishers, I right. do. I've got six books under contract, <clears throat> so I have to write six plots in advance, you see. And the first plot I ever wrote for the detective story, I didn't tell them who, who did it. I wanted it to be a surprise, and they said, no, you can't do that. <laughs> did you know who had done it? Uh, often I change at the end, and then I have to tell them. Ah. Uh, yeah. Because that's an interesting aspect of it, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah. the other thing about as a, as, as a reader of crime is that I notice sometimes, and maybe the audience you know, that have been at other festivals like this, the, the pace of reading changes. That's my opinion, is that you, you, know, you kind of go through a book at a certain pace, but then when something dramatic happens, I feel that I'm reading quicker. Yes. And I wonder, as a writer, does that happen as well for you? Are you do well, you write at a different pace when... No, no, no. I, I get up in the morning and I think, oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're maybe being too honest here, uh, Mary. <laughs> and I go upstairs. I get my cigarettes and my black coffee, and I go upstairs and I, and I look at it. And two days out of every book, it just goes. It just right. goes. And that's what you remember when you finish. And you think, you know, it's like having a baby or going in swimming. You say, it's all right, it's easy. Uh -huh. And then you could have the next plot. And you think, I can't, I, I can't do this again. Sorry, I keep that's forgetting okay. this. <laughs> I thought, I can't do this again. But it's, it's, um, it's a funny thing. If I don't write on a regular basis, then an awful thing happens. I read myself to sleep. And then I toss and turn and I finish the book in my head that I'm reading. Okay. So when I pick it up again, I think, <laughs> that didn't happen, you know. <laughs> and it's almost as if, Ruth Rendell said there's a part of the brain for living, a part of the brain for thinking, and a part of the brain for writing. It's as if you almost develop another muscle. Right. I can understand that. And I mean, it's almost as if you've got to write. Uh -huh. I mean, as a stand-up comedian, I think we go into different modes. Um, you know, so when you're, you're concentrating, if, if a comedian is on tour, they're thinking about their stand-up all the time. Yes. And when you're not on tour, that bit of the brain recedes a wee bit. Yes. So I'm guessing it's the same as a writer. You're, you're sharp when you're in writing mode. Yes, but it's, it seems always there. It's almost as if I've got to write. Right. Have you written today? Oh, no, 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 no. Day no. off. Day off, yes, great. <laughs> Start tomorrow. Let's talk a wee bit about um, the, the future then, because uh, Agatha Raisin uh, transferred to television last year, and that was where we first spoke. Yes. Uh, and I think there, there's more in the offing, isn't there? Yes, I can. There's, um, they're filming at the moment in the Cotswolds, and there's going to be eight episodes next year. It's Mammoth who do Lewis and Endeavour, and... They're pretty good at casting, whereas people said, Ashley Jensen, for God's sake, she's Scottish, you know? Uh -huh. And I said, well, the thing is, she acts the Agatha of the book. She's rude and abrasive and vulnerable at the same time. And it's family viewing, which is all I ever really wanted, uh -huh. you know? 
And they're terribly nice to me. I mean, they say, if there's anything you don't like in this script, Mary, you tell us. And I tell them, and they go and do it. Regardless. <laughs> Regardless. Is that a different experience than Hamish Macbeth, then? Well, I've bitched for Britain over that, you mm. know, and uh, I, I'm a very resentful person. You know, you can't move forward with one foot in a bucket of the past. You know, you've got to... I mean, I got a book out of it, Death of a Scriptwriter. Uh-huh. So, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> that, nothing's wasted. I mean... <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people liked it very, very much, but unfortunately for me, I got screwed in the contract. I get nothing for repeats or residuals. Ah. And that made me very bitter. But they went bankrupt two years ago. <laughs> so which always shows, there is a God. You won't <laughs> believe us, there is a God. <laughs> is there a death of a comedian in the offing? Because <laughs> I've had a few deaths myself already. I, I, I don't need you to write it up for me, Marion. Uh, never a death of a salesman, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> is that copyright, is it? That's copyright, yeah. I should think, Arthur Miller, yes. Um, and then uh, the, the new Agatha Raisin comes out, uh, as you say, in October. Mm. Um, how much can we tell the, the audience here about, about that? Because uh, I got a hold of a, a proof copy last night, and, um, gosh, it's, it's a wee bit different in that... Somebody is a suspect. Yes. Is that... Uh, I can, can I say I've got a blank. All right, good. <laughs> I tell you what it is. It's like cramming for an exam. Once I've written it, mm-hmm. I forget all about it. Oh, how awful. No, well, I... What's it about? <laughs> I, 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 Agatha, Agatha is a suspect. I don't think they had. But maybe it's just from the. Oh, I remember it. I remember it. Oh, yes, it's it's um, she it's because there's this therapist uh-huh. who's dug up all her um slum background, and uh, uh, tells everyone in the village about it, uh-huh. and I get this absolutely furious because she's spent years laminating herself with a posh accent and uh-huh. the right clothes, the right address, you know. And, of course, she's heard saying, I'll kill you. And, of <laughs> course, that's... Uh, so she ends up the prime suspect. I think I've maybe just uh, unearthed the plot of death of an interviewer. <laughs> <laughs> well, funnily enough, I, I remember I was in this uh, interview in a television show in L.A., and it was one of these television shows where women with rich husbands, they either get them to buy them a newspaper or a television station. And um, evidently, they, they had had a British writer on. The, the escort wouldn't tell me who it was. But the interviewer betrayed the whole plot right to the end and who murdered who. So he grabbed the microphone and he said, for all 12 of you watching this program, <laughs> Don't bother to buy my book because you know what happens. (laughs) Now, I want to ask uh, just about the the work ethic that you have then because you're you're at an age that a lot of people might have considered retiring at, um, but you're still, you know, knocking out a couple of books a year. Um, Can I ask what drives you? Debt. (laughs) 
<laughs> Marion, it's... <laughs> George Osborne's got a plan for that. You don't need to sort it out. Well, the thing is, we gifted uh, our son money for a house in London last year and suddenly woke up to the fact that we got to pay 40% tax on it. Right. Yeah, you know. Aye. And um, it was an impulse to do something for him before we all dropped dead, you uh -huh. know. I plan to be 106. <laughs> That's, that's a great plan. <laughs> but it's, um, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's like uh, my editor, Christina Green, um, about four, four years ago, she said, we're, so, we're doing a big bash for your, at Harrogate for your 75th. Mm -hmm. I thought she hasn't bought 75 books. <laughs> <laughs> And then I realised it was my birthday, uh -huh. and I thought, because I'd be lying about my age for so long. Oh, right. <laughs> Ten years off, five years off. My husband said, look, if you go on like this, I think you married a paedophile, so we just stop it. <laughs> <laughs> so I try not to think about age. Clearly, what you've demonstrated this morning is a, is a very uh, distinct sense of humour. <laughs> uh, everybody's in, uh, enjoying it in here, but just going back to the work ethic thing, because when you went to Virginia, I mean, Harry yeah. got a job, uh, was it the Oyster Bay Chronicle? Ga no, it was, that was Oyster, in... I knew it was Oyster Bay That was in Bay Long something. Island, it was the Oyster Bay Guardian. Guardian, right. As editor, it didn't work out, <clears> and we ended up down and out in Virginia, and um, all we could afford was a place in Mount Vernon Avenue in... Um, Alexandria, Virginia, where they'd take the rent at the end of the week. Right. And it was a DOS house full of hot and cold running winos. So Harry got a job as a dishwasher at a greasy spoon in the Jes Jefferson Davis. I handed him the baby at six in the morning and I did an eight-hour stint as a waitress. And it was like George Orwell says, you're always afraid of going to the dogs and here you are at the dogs and it's all right. If you work in a restaurant, you can eat. Uh -huh. Which is... A big thing, you know, and um, it, it it was very interesting. The waitresses uh, were very jealous of me. I get good tips because the customers would say, "Where's my breakfast?" And they say, "Why don't you shut your goddamn cotton-picking mouth?" <laughs> that uh, I treat. I've, I used to get through by fantasizing. I was working in a French restaurant, and I'd right. shake out the napkins for uh -huh. them, and so on, <laughs> just to get through the day, you know. But a great attitude to have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I had a, an experience of a, a New York waitress just uh, earlier this year. My wife and I were over and uh, we went to the Carnegie Diner, do you know, in Manhattan. Mm. It's renowned for these huge pastrami and rye sandwiches. Oh, yes. And there were four southern bells. And it's a tourist trap, basically. And there were four southern ladies looking at this enormous uh, menu. And one of them stopped a waitress who was in full stride, New York waitress, and says, excuse me, y'all. <laughs> Do y'all have anything for vegetarians? And she didn't even break stride. She says, try the vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> so I can see you, Marion, just being exactly like that. Yeah. But it is, it's, it's a sense of humour that... Is, it is still very west of Scotland, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I used to go in, it was Steve's restaurant, and in the book matches it had, 
at, at Steve's there is always something cooking. Uh -huh. <laughs> there was. And uh, the waitresses on at night, it was 24 hours. They used to turn tricks in the car park for extra money when they were not throwing their Virginia hams over the wall to their boyfriends <laughs> to take away in a truck. <laughs> what a place. Uh, yeah. But um, it was an experience. Harry, uh, then I was able to go, Harry got a job on the railroad um, in the computer side, you know, directing the trains. It was the Richmond, Fredericksburg and Potomac Railroad. Uh -huh. And um, he also did uh, two shifts in a restaurant all on the same day, one shift in the railroad, two shifts in the restaurant um, to sort of get us a decent place to live. And that wasn't unusual in America because they've got this attitude, you want it, you want a new car or something, Aye. take on another job, you work for it. There's a sort of optimism there. That oh, where's Harry from? Um, Lahore in Fife. Right. So yes. Well, it's a, it, you're saying it's not unusual, but it's a, it's kind of unusual for a Fife and a Glaswegian no, to be the, out I'm, there, though. But no, I meant the Americans. No, no, I know. Yes. Yeah, but um, yeah. for for you guys, though, I mean, you must have the, the locals must have realised you were a wee bit different. Well, the, the, there was a lot of uh, you know. I would say I was from England because he didn't know where Scotland was. And they say, how long have you been here in the States? I say, two years. They say, well, you've mastered the language very well. <laughs> I'm kidding you. <laughs> but it was, uh, but, um, and then we moved to this um, condominium. Harry got a job as a gardener, and he was friends with the White House gardener, who gave him loads of bulbs, <laughs> this, this nasty military sort of building area uh -huh. projects was suddenly ablaze with flowers and trees and everything, yeah. And did you, when that was all going on, you know, the greasy spoon, the gardening and the railroad, yeah. did you both think, you know, we, we will get back into writing, we'll oh, get yes. back into papers, this yes. is just temporary? Well, I, Harry was really dismal one night and I said, why don't you phone up one of your old journalist friends? So he phoned up, Charles Wheeler was in Washington and he said, Murdoch's starting a tabloid, um, in, uh, uh, up in New York. So we covered for him while he went up there for, and he got the job as deputy news editor and then I went up and I was on the picture desk. Uh -huh. Murdoch's a, a, another area we could go and talk at, at uh -huh. length, especially this, this morning when the, the sun has, I don't know if you've seen, the, the, they've got, they managed to get hold of footage of Her Majesty aged about six or eight or something like that, being encouraged to do a Nazi salute by her by her, uh, is it a father or her uncle? Her uncle. Uh, quite extraordinary. But it, it got you guys back into into writing. Yes. And then, the, when, when did the first book arrive, Mary? Well, what happened was, I was worried with the, the my son. I was so worried about putting him out to babysitter. And Harry then got a job in a newspaper up in Connecticut. And... I was at home with them, and I was complaining to Harry. I used to read Georgia here for escape. And uh, when she died, the image, as I said to my husband, this is crap. Yeah, I mean, it's the history's wrong, the, the, the dress is wrong, the whole that, it's, it's just wrong. He said, well, why don't you write one? Mm -hmm. 
And so I started writing them until I got to over 100 of them. And I thought, if I don't get out of 1811 to 1820, I'll go mad. <laughs> but I've got, the research was endless. I've still got an A to Z of London 1811. Uh -huh. So I would know where all the streets were and everything. And they were comedies of manners, you know. Right. It, was, it was great fun. We're going to be asking um, the audience here uh, some questions. No, we're not. We're going to be asking you if you'd like to ask some questions <laughs> uh, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, so hopefully you've got a few for, for Marion. Uh, and thereafter, as I say, uh, book signings of both the, the current uh, new novels. Um, I've got one of only two proof copies of the uh, Agatha Reason August one. So I'm going to hang on to that might get you to sign it. Good. Um, but I just, you know, the TV thing is happening, uh, being filmed in the Cotswolds just now. You say it's a, it's a contractual obligation, uh, driven by debt. <laughs> but, uh, how, and, and your ambition is to see out, to get 106, which I think is what Alistair Cook is hoping for in the cricket today. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe even more. Uh, but what else lies ahead for you, Marion? Oh, I just want to go on writing books. Uh -huh. um, I can't think of anything else that I would like to do. Um, I may bitch about it occasionally, but it's what I really like doing. And I, I, I think as long as I find other people more interesting than I ever found, found myself, I'll be all right, because... Um, there's no such thing of, as an ordinary person. Everyone's got... Mm -hmm. stories and the thing is it's very easy to write about bad people very difficult to write about good people and there's a lot of them around they just don't get in the papers you mm -hmm. know nobody's going to write about mrs brown who brought up three healthy children you know and happy husband mm -hmm. um they want all the twisted sick people and uh, but if you write about good people you're cozy mm -hmm or you cringe-making, or you're naff, you know, and you think, oh, well, I don't care. I don't care. Alexander McCall Smith manages to write about good people. Yes, very, and very successfully, too. Yes, yes, he's, uh, I, enjoy, I enjoy his books uh -huh. so much. In fact, there's so many good Scottish detective writers yep. that it's bewildering. And, uh, and uh, again, it's... it's Littered with humour as well, and I think that's really yes, important too. Yes, and kindness. Yes. Yeah. That's a nice note on which to, to move on, I think. Um, and we shall ask uh, the audience if there's anything you would like to ask Marion through me. Uh, if you just put your hands up, someone will come with a microphone to you. Uh, there we are, right there, about five rows back. So, Mike, can you see them? I'm just. I, ooh, yeah. ooh. Good morning. Good morning. Delightful to have you here. I, I just wanted to ask uh, if you were disappointed that Penelope Keith wasn't offered the, the role in the new TV adaptation. No, not really, because she was... I loved her in the radio thing and reading, but she is now too old for the part, uh, because Agatha is still supposed... To, Agatha doesn't age. Hamish <laughs> Macbeth doesn't age. Nobody ages in my books. And Agatha is still sexy, you see. So, um, no, I wasn't disappointed. Although I admire Penelope Keith very much indeed. 
And I dare say some people find her sexy. <laughs> Next question, please, if you raise your hand, one of our assistants will come to you. I can't believe you're all shy. There's one. I see and one. another. One on the right there, and then we'll go to the lady in the, on the left. Hello. Hello. I, I haven't seen anything about an autobiography, and you seem to have led a very interesting life. Have you thought about doing that? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Are uh, you in contract negotiations about that? <laughs> it's, a, it's a thought of going back down memory lane and then you know either it's going to be sweetness light so you don't offend anyone it'll be a damn bore or if you tell it like it is even if the people are dead they could have children or grandchildren you end up hurting someone at the expense of, of yourself I just I've never wanted to do it ever no is it, Marion, because of, you know, going back to the Glasgow that you've mentioned in those days, and you've used the expression a couple of times this morning, the razor gangs, which yeah. people, not everybody will know, but I mean, that it pretty much does describe, there were gangs of men who attacked each other with open blade razors. Yeah, and, and, and if, you had a drink with, uh, if you had a drink with the axe men, you were going upmarket socially. Uh -huh. <laughs> they had their own pub in Brixton, and they wore collars and ties, the axe men did. It was a, a Wild West theme. They even uh -huh. had bar stools covered in cowhide. Is that so? Yeah. Freaky. And then there was a, I think, a late, oh, there's a chap there, but there was a lady a couple of rows behind. Was it? <laughs> Uncanny. Let's see if we can get the hat trick. <laughs> yes, sir. What do you think it is about Scotland that produces so many good traditional comedians and traditional good crime writers? Because there are a lot of them. I think it's... Um, I think it's um, the the the. I let Fred answer the comedian one, but in the storytellers, I think it's a sort of background of Robert Louis Stevenson, who I, th I think must be the greatest storyteller of all time. That um, there's a long tradition of storytelling, and also people. It's maybe changed now, but people were more apt to tell long stories when they're mm -hmm. talking and everyone would listen. It might be from that. Yeah, I mean, it was very much a, a culture. And as I said earlier on, um, my ancestry is uh, the Outer Hebrides, um, ha Lewis and Harris. Um, and, you know, we bit like Glasgow and, you know, people from Lewis traditionally don't get on too well with people from Harris, but my mm. family had moved from one to the other. And uh, my... Um, aunt, my late aunt, who was my godmother, said, you know, that your great-grandfather was known as a storyteller. Um, and she thought mm. that that had kind of passed down through the, the bloodline to me. Um, and I think Scottish comedy is a lot about, about storytelling. I've got, I don't like using other people's material, but this, this uh, and he would forgive me for this, I've got a, a friend called John Gillick, who uses a, a lovely line about a, a wee kid uh, getting told by his mum to go to bed. And he said, mummy, can can you give me a story? And she said, well, it's 10 o'clock, the pub will be shut and let's wait five minutes and your dad will come in and we'll all get a story. <laughs> 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 uh, 
I mean, if you, if you look at the, you know, somebody that I hugely admire and just about every other stand-up does, Billy Connolly. I mean, if, if ever there was a, a storyteller, it's Connolly. And the way that he gets his humour over is just a long anecdotal uh, story that, that weaves off, you know, off-piste and then back on. And so it's a wonderful, a wonderful craft that he has. Yeah, like Chick Murray was rather oh, like Chick that. Chick Murray, yeah, yeah no. Did, did you ever see Chick in Variety? Yes. I mean, and Maisie. Legendary. Maisie changed. Yeah. Yes. Any more? Any more? For any more? Hi. Hi. Um, you mentioned about book before bedtime, about reading, and I was wondering what sort of things you do like to read, specifically what's on your bedside table at the moment, please. Uh, Nicholas Blake, who was really uh, CS not C.S. Lewis, C. Day Lewis. And his pen name was Nicholas Blake, and I like his books. And Anthony Barclay, who also wrote Under Francis Isles. I write, like between the wall, I like classic detective stories. Uh, you know, Josephine Tay, Dorothy Sears, Agatha Christie, um, Edmund Crispin, all that lot. Um, so I, I, I like those, and I like the modern ones. Anything by Alexander McCall Smith, um, Denise Mina, um, Val McDermott, all the Scottish ones mm -hmm. pretty much come to <laughs> <laughs> And the English ones. You were saying about people writing under names. Uh, you've had a few gnomes de plume over the years. Can I ask how you selected those, Marion? Oh, it was because my, my first book was published under Marion Chesney, which is my maiden name. Right. Uh, so when I wrote the Edwardians, I became Jenny Tremaine, and then Harcourt... Did you just feel it, it suited the genre better? Yes, Harcourt, Brace Jovanovich, I became Anne Fairfax, and the New American Library, I became Helen Crampton, <laughs> and some publisher, I forget, I became Charlotte Ward. Right. <laughs> so I didn't know who I was <laughs> at the time. Who's next? Anyway, oh, yes. Young lady in the second row. Well, we'll take that one first, uh, that question first, and then we'll come to you. Uh, um, hi. Uh, um, Agatha Raisin has got a really strong physical presence. She's got a good pair of legs. She's got little current eyes and that, mm. which uh, really help carry her character. Um, is she based on anybody? Uh, no, mostly my imagination. <laughs> She's based in some public relations offices I used to know. Uh, and some of it's me. She says the things I'd like to say. <laughs> but I wouldn't dream of being so rude. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> I never base... Not really, I don't have anything based on actually people, just bits of people, you know. And um, I wanted... It was my editor in New York, Hopedale, and wanted a Cotswold detective story. And I, wa I like anti-heroes, like Becky Sharp and Vanity Fair, you know, and the dreadful Arthur Abdul Smith in Top Cappy. And I wanted someone that you might not like, but you might want to win through in the end, mm. instead, of, instead of the six-foot female with the high cheekbones and the green eyes, you know. Uh, or a small grey-haired lady knitting. That's an interesting point, very quickly. Uh, Agatha Raisin, 
<coughs> did her first Poirot in 1928. But before that, um, Patricia Wentworth was writing about her little knitting lady, and I wondered if it was a direct pinch. Mm. They were very like. Just wanted to ask, uh, Fred, are you now inspired to write your own crime novel? And if so, is what advice would Marion give him? Good question. Well, um, I haven't got a contract yet to write. So <laughs> I know there's an editor in the room. Um, I've, I've written bits and pieces over the year, but uh, I, I think I could maybe come up with a crime or two, but uh, I, I don't know... That well, I have the, I don't think I've got the, the drive to write it. What, what well, advice would you give me then? I, I'd advise you to read Simon Brett's Charles Paris detective stories, right. because he bases it on different aspects of the media. It's either stand-up comedian, uh -huh. or voiceover, or costume drama, or so on because he's been in all of them, you know. Uh -huh. And that was what inspired me in the beginning, that someone could be funny as well as uh, do a detective story. Death of a comedy critic. Yeah. <laughs> Fred Macaulay had received a one-star review. <laughs> <laughs> We're off. <laughs> well, do you know, the, there was something that I was thinking about which is, you know, there is a, a sort of subsect of, of stand-up that is improvised comedy, and many of you would have been to see Eddie Izzard last night with Mark Billingham, and the three of us have done the comedy store together um, many times way back in the 90s, and Eddie has got this great improvisational style, and I was thinking crime writers are probably as good at improvising. I mean, uh, uh, all writers, in fact. I mean, it is improvisation, isn't it? It is, yes. It is. So, you know, we should, we should ask the audience. We should need a location and a, a murder weapon and a victim. And then I thought, no, that's just Cluedo. <laughs> <laughs> any more for any more. I think we've maybe exhausted them. Yes. There was a lot of late night revelry last night. And I know because my bedroom is at the front of the hotel. <laughs> so those of you that were over in the wee uh, place last night, living up, thank you very much for my late night. <laughs> I'd been up in, uh, I started my day in St. Andrews yesterday, mm -hmm. uh, watching the open golf. Flood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'm delighted to see it's been postponed, so I might be able to see some more on Sunday and Monday when I get back up. <laughs> But uh, <coughs> if there are no further questions, um, I would just like to say, Marion, thank you very much for having me here. Um, it's been an absolute delight to meet you and uh, spend more time with you. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's a mutual admiration society. And uh, just a reminder that there will be the, the signing of the, of the two yeah, books. And if they can let us get out before they Yes, go. if you would do that. But in the meantime, if you'd please show your appreciation for the lady that we're all here to see, MC Beacon. Thank you for listening to this event by Harrogate International Festivals. For more events, recordings, resources and information about our arts charity, please visit harrogateinternationalfestivals.com.